the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Short Tales, a series of short stories written and read by me, Damien Robb. This month's story is a bit different, because it's actually the first couple of chapters of a novella I wrote entitled The Hive, and which you can now purchase in either paperback or ebook at damienrobb.com forward slash books. So, we'll get to the story in just a second, but first, I want you to imagine you have just stepped off a train. The train has stopped in the middle of nowhere. You are in the country. It is spring and there is pollen in the air. You sneeze once, then twice, then again as you move towards the front of the train. You are frustrated and annoyed, but all that leaves you for just a moment when you get to the front of the train and witness what will turn out to be the first of many horrors. Okay, you ready? Good. This is the first two chapters of The Hive. Chapter 1 It was spring. She hated spring. Not only did it wreak havoc on her allergies, but it made all the idiots in the world painfully optimistic and happy, like the sudden sun burned away all their rational brain cells. Give her autumn, when the air was brisk and would burn through your lungs and into your veins and make every part of your body feel cold. Leaves would die and fall and crunch beneath your feet. You knew you were alive when you were surrounded by all that death. Beatrice was jolted out of her thoughts by the sound of the train's brakes screeching. Her back pushed into the padded seat behind her as the huge multi-carriage vehicle tried in vain to go from 160 kilometres per hour to zero in seconds. A violent thud sounded from somewhere up ahead and a shudder passed through the train as it was brought to an immediate halt. The bone above her left eye cracked painfully into the chair in front as she was thrown forward by the sudden lack of momentum. Well, that's just great she thought as she pulled herself back into the chair, rubbing at her eye. Ah, sorry there, folks, the loudspeaker buzzed, a jovial male voice on the other end of it. A local cow decided to say hello to us just now, and, uh, well, let's just say it didn't end well for old Bessie. So, uh, just sit tight and we'll get back moving as soon as possible. Around the carriage, people started talking in excited murmurs. Beatrice leaned back into her seat and gave a growl of frustration. She hadn't wanted to come on this trip, 
had been forced to, in fact, threatened into it by her asshole of an editor. His exact words had been, just write the damn article, or not only will I fire you, I'll shove this stapler down your throat. What an overreaction. Sure, she had denied a few articles prior to this, but that was because they were all tat. Rubbish journalism. The kind people today couldn't get enough of. Bloody clickbait and BuzzFeed articles and feel-good nonsense. Drivel designed to distract the masses and turn them all into mindless drones. What she needed was a proper story. A decent story. One that would remind people how a real journalist like her could make a difference. A story like she used to write in the old days. Uh, hello again, folks. It looks like the damage to the train is a bit more extensive than originally thought, so I'm going to need you to collect your things and make your way out of the train and over to the road where some replacement buses will soon be along to pick you up. Air huffed out of Beatrice's nose in exasperation. Then again, when she looked down to see her handbag had fallen to the floor in the crash, her things spilling out of it like organs from the belly of a sliced pig. She bent to collect them. Excuse me, a voice said as a hand tapped her shoulder. She looked up to see it was a young woman with dyed fluoro hair that had been sitting diagonally across from her. The girl had been listening to her headphones the entire trip, staring into her smartphone like some zoned-out zombie. Beatrice huffed again. Couldn't the girl see she was in the middle of something? What? Beatrice snapped. The girl flinched back. Uh, you dropped this? She said, handing Beatrice her smartphone. Oh, Beatrice replied, snatching the phone out of her hand. The girl looked at her for a beat waiting for something, then shook her head and turned away, hissing out, bitch, under her breath with a dry laugh. What? Beatrice questioned. Nothing, the girl said, giving her an overly enthusiastic smile. Beatrice glowered in return, but the girl just kept smiling as she picked up her backpack and left the train. Beatrice looked at the phone in her hand. She clicked the button on the side and the screen lit up. No notifications, no missed calls or messages from Patrick. She rubbed at her eye again, then returned the phone to her handbag along with the rest of her things, took her suitcase from the shelf above and made her way off the train. Sneezes started ripping out of her as she joined the progression of passengers through the paddock towards the road. Fucking spring, she thought. She'd found her desire to swear had only increased as she got older. Sun burned her eyes as she moved past the train's anterior and out of its shadow. She raised a hand and blinked as her vision adjusted to the flood of light. As her sight restored, she realised she was facing the splattered remains of the cow. The lower half of the animal, including a large section of its internal organs, had been forced into the workings of the train, smeared upwards by the heavy vehicle's final movement. Only a bony back and a lolling head remained intact, jutting out from under the wheels, vacant eyes meeting her own. The cow didn't look like it had been healthy even before it lost the fight with a 120-ton locomotive. Bones were clearly visible through the skin of its back, and the face was sallow and emaciated. Insects were already making their way across the corpse. One fly scudded over the dead animal's wet eye, stopping only to rub its front legs together like a comic book supervillain hatching a plan. Another one, larger, was squeezing itself out of the cow's dirt-encrusted ear, wiggling wildly as it struggled to exit the canal. Beatrice saw a flash of yellow and realised it wasn't a fly, but a bee. It freed its swollen thorax from the cow's ear and shook its wings free of mud and wax. It rose into the air with a hum, hovering for a moment, before heading directly for Beatrice. Her eyes widened as the bee grew larger in her field of vision, finally reacting with a quick movement of her head. 
She felt the breeze brush her cheek and a drumming buzz ring by her ear as it passed. Her eyes followed it and she saw the chubby insect head towards a hive in the crook of a tree. It was a large hive, not round like the ones she remembered depicted in the Winnie the Pooh cartoons she used to watch with Patrick, but spreading, filling in all the space beneath the trunk of the tree and the underside of the thick branch, like it was hanging from the armpit of some unfortunate individual. She shook her head in wonder and turned back to the cow, only to see a dozen more bees swarm out of the dead animal's open mouth. She threw herself to the ground as the bees thrummed above her, moving towards the hive. Beatrice rose, heart thudding, and heard a barely stifled giggle from nearby. The fluoro-haired girl sat on a fence post, headphones wrapped around her head. Beatrice gave her a scowl and bent to brush the dirt and grass of her clothes. A sneeze burned through her nasal passage, followed quickly by two more. She fucking hated spring. Chapter 2 Beatrice sneezed again as she exited the crowded bus. She didn't know why the transportation agency had thought they could squeeze a trainload of people into a single bus, but needless to say, it hadn't been a comfortable end to her journey. She waited with the crowd of passengers as the driver of the bus reached into the bowels of the vehicle, throwing their luggage out one at a time. He grabbed her black and chrome overnight suitcase and tossed it behind him. It fell with a thud on the dusty, cobbled ground. She let out a short, frustrated exhalation and pushed her way through the crowd. Her elbows finding more than one person's abdomen, she made her way through. Now, she just needed to find her hotel. She dreaded seeing what kind of shithole Chuck, her editor, had organised for her. Her phone told her it was only a few streets away, which in this case meant the other side of town. She began walking as yet another sneeze choked its way up her throat before ejecting itself out of her face. She paused to retrieve her handkerchief and blow her nose. The sun was making its way into the circular town centre, having managed to crest the surrounding mountains. Malafira was a typical mountain town, in that it spewed green in every direction, assaulting her with its colour and pollen. Wooden stone shop fronts and cafes made up most of the town's centre's interior, facing inwards towards the overly large grass-covered roundabout, allowing her to see the cosy ski village it would become in the winter. She continued walking, jotting down a few mental notes of her initial thoughts of the town to later include in the article, as the wheels of her suitcase clicked and jumped across the cobbled roads. The locals no doubt thought their cobbled streets were quaint and charming. She found them redundant and inconvenient. Another sneeze threatened to overcome her, but she pushed it away, reducing it to an annoying niggle at the back of her nose. She passed an independent supermarket, its garish superficiality sitting starkly beside a refurbished pub known as the Malafira Arms, then passed out of the town centre where the street returned to a regular asphalt, a fact she was grateful for. Another street on and she saw Malafira's large football oval. Small towns like this always valued their local sporting team beyond reason, and the size of the oval was a clear indicator that Malafira was no different. It stretched out well beyond the gated street entrance, the perfect green broken only by the lines of white that surrounded and intersected it, as well as all the cars and trucks crawling across its surface. A constant progression of vehicles made their way in and out of the sporting ground, bringing in supplies for the weekend's event. The Malafira Farmer's Market. That was why she was there. To cover this speck of a town's annual... occurrence was the best way she could think to describe it. Event would be too generous. As though a few people selling fruit and tacky homemade crafts was news. It was garbage. A waste of her time. She needed a proper story, not this. 
The sneeze she had put off returned with force, pushing past her small defences, followed quickly by three more. Her eyes were also beginning to itch, but she ignored the desire to rub them. She wiped her streaming nose with her increasingly damp handkerchief and hurried towards the hotel, desperate to try and call Patrick again and find a reprieve from all the garish green and poisonous pollen of this wretched town. Thanks for listening to the opening of The Hive. I hope you've enjoyed it thus far. And if you'd like to read the rest of it, it's available for purchase in both paperback and ebook at damienrobb.com forward slash books. Now, to finish this episode off, I've recorded some afterthoughts, which detail where the idea for this story came from and any challenges I faced while writing it. If that feels too self-indulgent for your taste, fair enough. But if that sounds like your kind of thing, then listen on. This story has a shared history with three others, and that's because it was originally a part of an anthology called Seasons of Fear. The anthology came about thanks to a podcast I was on with a number of my friends called Movie Maintenance. It was hosted at the time by four of us, Sean, Tom, Gabe, and myself, and it was Sean that came up with the idea for Seasons of Fear, which was that the four of us each write a horror novella, each set in a different season, and then release it as an anthology. Sean took winter, Tom autumn, Gabe summer, and I had spring. I'd written one other novella at this point, The Case of Henry and the Hamster, a mystery story, also available for purchase from damienrobb.com forward slash books, if you're so inclined, but had never written horror. Horror scared me, especially in movie form. In book form, I was able to bear it a bit better and was even tantalised by it, intrigued, and had slowly started branching out from reading fantasy and sci-fi into horror. And so when Sean proposed this opportunity, I happily said yes, a bit nervous, but keen for the challenge. Of course, I now host a horror movie podcast, but given that podcast is about three cowardly friends discussing horror movies, things really haven't changed that much. Also, the cowardly friends I hosted with are Sean and Tom, two of the three co-authors from Seasons of Fear. Clearly, our curiosity was always going to override our cowardliness. So, I obviously had a starting point for this story, and anyone who's listened to this podcast before knows how much I love a story prompt. And he was a doozy. Write a horror novella tied in some meaningful way to the season of spring. Spring. A season of rebirth, of plants and trees and birds and bees and life reawakening from the winter. It seemed to me to be nature's favourite season, and so setting it in the countryside seemed obvious. Not too long before this, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, Holly and I had visited Bright, an alpine town here in the state I live in, Victoria. It's a beautiful place, lush and full of life, but also small and somewhat secluded. So, I renamed it Malafira, made a few small changes, and set my story there. As for the horror side, I liked the idea of it coming from this green, naturey rebirth. It seemed at odds to what I knew of horror at the time, which was dark and deadly. And so, and without giving too much away... I thought about how cults so regularly sold the idea of rebirth and how they'd often set up in small and secluded places. And so that entered the mix. As did bees, as I'm sure it will surprise none of you to learn. And here was where I hit up against what I so often do when starting a story. I had an idea, but no real story yet, no character to drive it, no idea what was actually going to happen. I made a few false starts, almost always about an outsider coming to the town, but it wasn't until I made that outsider grouchy and unhappy about being there that I started to find the juice I was looking for. Still, there were more false starts. Originally, I had this character as a man, 
but he annoyed me. He was privileged and entitled, which Beatrice is too, but with her I had a better sense of where it came from, what she was about. I found I empathised with her more and found her bitterness enjoyable to write about. Things picked up after that. The story started to take shape. There were still missteps as I tried to figure out what should happen next and who else should fill out the town, but a lot of that got cleared out through the writing, through the doing of it, and through the blessing of a deadline, meaning I had to make decisions and I had to keep writing, which is all it really takes to finish the story. The book came out. It looked fantastic thanks to the efforts of two talented artists, Molly McPhee and Ash Tardy. We had a launch and sold some books and sold more at some live shows for the podcast. It was a ride and my first real foray into any kind of publishing. That fact paired with having gone on this journey with my friends means this story will always hold a special space for me, even when it dips into some true horrors. You can no longer buy Seasons of Fear, but these stories live on. Gabe extended his, originally called Sunburnt Country, and it became his first novel, The Hunted, one of now many that he's written. Sean, similar to myself, has self-published his. It's called The Pyramid, and is a tight, terrifying story I recommend you get your hands on, and which I've added a link to in the show notes. Tom's story, entitled Till the Tide Takes Us All, a twisty, atmospheric story that gets under your skin, isn't currently available. But send him a message, and maybe he'll share it with you. And mine, as you already know, is called The Hive, and which is now available in paperback or ebook from damienrob.com forward slash books. All right, those are all my thoughts. But if you have any that you'd like to share, please do. You can write to me at shorttales.podcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at middaypajamas. Also, while this podcast will always be free, if you'd like to throw a few extra dollars my way, you can do so by visiting co-fi.com forward slash Damien Rob. Or you can find all the appropriate links in the episode show notes. Until next time, this has been Short Tales and I've been Damien Rob. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.